I have a couple of roses left that I'm going to go ahead and give out. One of them is to Carol Marsh. He, Ron just overlooked the fact she actually had five children, right? How do you overlook that? Anybody want to? Anyway, I want you to have this. At six, okay. Well, even, even, when you, uh, even when you lose one young, it's still a child, and that's what I want to honor there. But also, I, I thought, as I got here, I saw, um, Haley, did you get here in a Jeep that has, uh, that's o- in the wide open? You got here tonight. Okay, that's cool. So you get one of these, because I think that's just flat cool right there, right? Jeep hair, don't care. Uh, That's interesting. And I tried to get in it, and it was locked, and yet it didn't have a top on it. I think that's kind of weird, but anyway. I want to tell you just one uh, little detail is my first sermon ever was preached on Mother's Day in in 2000. In in, uh, 1983, I was too tall or too short to uh, be seen in the, po- the podium, and so they put a little yellow stool there, and I stood over it, and my dad took a picture from the nursery window because they wouldn't let you take pictures in the auditorium because that would be disruptive. Weird, isn't it? But anyway, that's totally useless trivia. I forgot also this morning, Jesus loves me. I'm going to make up for it right now, so let's sing together. For the... How many remember I promised a very short sermon tonight? How many remember that? Yeah, because about 18 reminded me of that just a moment ago. We are in Exodus chapter 11, and the people are all tired of all this stuff. We call it neat VBS stuff, these neat miracles they're seeing in these plagues, but Egypt is ruined. They want them over. Israel's ready to go. Well, when's God going to get us out of this mess? And so the circus keeps going and going, and everybody's wondering, Is God going to finally bring us out of here, or is this just going to go on forever? But there's these verses from earlier in in Exodus that has to be fulfilled. Listen, look at these verses with me. But I know, this is way back in chapter 3, long before the plagues start, and I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. This is God to Moses. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, I will let you go, and I will give this people... Listen to this. This is weird. God stresses this all the way through. I will give this people of Egypt favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you will not go empty-handed, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor. And any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry, for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and you shall plunder the Egyptians. I want you to know we're going to get you out of here, but before we do, we're going to rob them blind. And yet it's not going to be robbing because they're going to voluntarily give it to you. This is back in chapter 3 before the plagues even start. Next one. Then you shall say, this is one chapter further, Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, and this is the first time God gave this illusion and foreshadow right here, Behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Chapter 4, before the plagues start, Moses talked to by God, and God says it's going to involve the death of their firstborn. That's the first time that's ever been brought up. 
And then chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. Pharaoh's not going to let you go. He is going to make you go. It's a little bit different, right? These are all the foreshadowings of the story we've got. And now if you'll just join me as we go to Exodus chapter 11, where the reading was. Exodus chapter 11. Before you get there, and as you're turning, I want you to see these two verses, two passages, one passage, I'm, sa I'm saying, on the screen as you turn to Exodus chapter 11. One of the things that God uses to declare his superiority to other gods is this. God says, unlike the gods you guys serve, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21, and 41, the whole chapter. He says, unlike all these other gods, let me tell you what I'm like. I can tell you what's going to happen, and I'll tell you, and when I tell you, it will happen just as I said. These other gods that you serve can't predict anything, can't tell you anything, can't make anything happen. What's the difference between the God we serve and every other quote-unquote deity there is that people worship? Our God speaks, foretells, and delivers every time. That's the difference between the Israelite and the Christian God and every other one. Psalm 33 says this, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. When God speaks, what he says will happen. His word does not go out of his mouth without coming back completely fulfilled. That's the God we serve. We've already seen in Exodus how that happens somewhat, right? And so God in chapter 11 says, Moses, 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 there's one more left. I'm about to bring on you the finale. Just go one more time, Moses. This is it. This is what I told you about in chapter 3 and chapter 4. He says, there's one more plague I'm going to bring on Pharaoh, and afterward he's going to make you go from here. And when he lets you go, he's going to drive you away completely. So now I want you to go and talk to the people. And I want you to ask the people as you leave. I want you to ask them for anything that you want out of Egypt. I'm going to make them. I'm going to put a hex on the Egyptians. And when you leave, you ask for anything you want. Ask for anything in their houses. Silver, gold, clothes, possessions. You ask what you want, and they're going to be under a trance. And they're going to bring it out to you in droves. And you're going to rob them blind as they leave. And I'm not sure why God thought this was so fascinating, but he told them this two or three times, and it actually happens this way, that as they leave that night, and I'm, for, I'm jumping ahead in the story, but as they leave that night, that's exactly what happens. And in fact, the Egyptians consider Moses some kind of heroic figure. You read the rest of this chapter and the rest of that thought. Then he says... You just ask these people for stuff, they're going to give it to you. And the Lord said, or gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, verse 3. And moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, in the sight of the people. Now there's a turn. It's a weird turn, because now it's no longer the Lord talking to Moses. It's Moses before Pharaoh, although there's no real indication of this. It doesn't explain it until a few verses later that now all of a sudden he's talking to, to, to Pharaoh himself. But I want to ask you a question before we do much. Look at verse 4 again. Moses said, Thus says the Lord about midnight, I will go in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the, uh, the hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle. I'm going to be comprehensive. 
I'm going to nail everybody, everybody from the high station in life to the low station in life to the animals in the land. I'm going to do it. Now, is there a death angel? Do you see death angel in there? God says, I'm going to do it. Don't believe an angel did it. God himself goes into Egypt after midnight, or right at midnight, and he does this. And it says later on, then I'm going to leave the land of Egypt with you as you go. God himself is going to make this appearance, and he's going to make this happen. And he's going to make this death happen. And this is a horrible thought for Moses. He can't imagine this. But now, actually, somewhere down the line, notice this as we go through this. Verse 6, there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt such as there has never been nor will be again. Can you imagine, just go through Jonesboro, just go through our town of 75,000 people and hit every house and take the firstborn child from every house and kill. What kind of a cry would you hear in the morning? But notice what happens in Israel. Not a dog shall growl. You're going to hear wailing out of Egypt. All the loss and the deep felt agony of these mothers and fathers crying out from their heart. And in Israel, you won't even hear a dog growl. It's going to be peaceful. Now, they're going to have to do something we're going to find later, but there's this distinction between what happens to Egyptian people and what happens to Israelite people who obey God. Not a dog will bark. I love that. Not a dog shall growl. You don't hear that many places in Scripture. Verse 8, and all these your servants. Now, notice verse 8, you can tell now he's actually talking to Pharaoh. I don't know when he started talking to Pharaoh. The text isn't real clear. But, and all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow after you. After that, you, after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. I don't know when he went to Pharaoh. But anyway, he comes into Pharaoh and he tells him all this stuff. And, and Moses is furious. He's as angry as he can be. Here's the thing. God over, 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 and over again in these nine plagues says, this is going to happen to you unless you let my people go. If you let my people go, none of this will happen, but he's obstinate and stubborn. He won't let them go. Here's a major point for us to get from this passage. If you don't bow to the word of the Lord, you will bend to the judgment of the Lord. This is a truth for every person, every single one of you to grapple with, every single one of us. And the reason you become a Christian is because you believe this. If you don't bow to the word of the Lord, you will bend to the judgment of the Lord. And God said, I've done this nine times, nine plagues, and they could have averted all of them. They could have averted every single one of them if they just let my people go, but they won't. This one, however, this is it. No more chances, no more warnings, no more threats, none of this. This is all. And Moses is standing before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh knows this. Every single one of them that Moses has predicted and forecast for him has taken place exactly as Moses said, and he knows that it's destroyed the land of, Israel, of Egypt. His own servants have said so. And here is Moses standing before him saying to Pharaoh, God's going to come into every home in Egypt and take the firstborn child. He is going to take these children from you. How can Pharaoh listen to that and not pause? It's happened nine times in a row just like Moses said. 
And then Moses comes before him and says, I'm going to give you the worst one of all. All your kids, your kids, your firstborn kids are going to die. And he doesn't do a thing. And Moses is angry. Why? This will be the best fireworks in the history of humanity. Why isn't Moses, like, pumped? Why is Moses so angry? Here, here's something that's interesting for us. We're, we're kind of standing in the same spot as Moses is, really. There's some things we know about the future that applies to everyone in the world, aren't there? Isn't there? Is there a future we know that's coming to face every human who was ever born? There's this judgment coming from God, and we know what the standards are. We know what his criteria is. We know that it's going to happen, and we know what will take place, that people will be split into two classes, two categories of people, those who've obeyed God, those who haven't. We know what's going to happen to the ones who've obeyed God. We know what's going to happen to the ones who didn't. And there's a reason God tells us this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, there's this passage. I think it's on the screen. After he tells them what's going to happen to the earth, everything's going to melt away, everything's going to be dissolved in the heat, and then God's going to purge everything. It says, since these things are to be like this, since this is going to happen, what kind of people ought you to be? And he goes on for a paragraph to describe, here's how you live to prepare for that time. Do you really believe this is going to happen? We're the people who know it's coming. We're the people who know what's at stake. Faith is action that we take based on evidence from the past. We've got a whole book of Scripture that is affirmed and confirmed by historical things in the past and prophecies of Scripture that was fulfilled just as it was spoken years before. We've got all this evidence, y'all, that the things the Bible says are true. It's called faith in the evidence that's already there. And then it becomes a faith for the future. It becomes a conviction that the ever, every other thing that the Scripture says that still remains to be fulfilled, there's a few things that still remain to be fulfilled that are still in the future. There's enough in the past to give us faith and trust that God knows what He's doing. He knows how to say what's going to happen and bring it about. We serve a God who every time He speaks, He makes it happen. Every time, without fail. And there's a few things he still says to us that are still future. And they're awful things for some. Do we have a conviction they're really going to happen? You see, Moses knows this. He's looking at Pharaoh and he's realizing the stubbornness of this, of this man is going to cause untold misery and heartache to mil millions maybe of people who are going to lose their children because he's too stubborn and obstinate to relent and let God have his way right here. I think he's angry at Pharaoh. It's Pharaoh's fault, but he's hurting for the people. And nobody wants to see this. Nobody wants to see people lose their children. Nobody does. And we don't want to see a whole nation of people, a whole world of people, lose their soul because we can tell them what's going to happen. I think I know what Moses feels. We know what's ahead, too. And we live in a world that doesn't believe it. 
used to be told this all the time. You need to preach with greater conviction. Don't you know that the house is on fire and you got to go and tell people that the house is on fire and get them out? And the problem with this is, the problem with this is if it's a house on fire, everybody would understand me knocking them out and bringing them out of their house if they didn't believe me. But not everybody believes that there is a future of fire ahead for a lot of people. And because they don't believe it and they don't see it, I can't just hit them in the head and knock them out and help them avoid it. I must convince them that the Scripture is true with enough conviction in them that they do something about it. There's two teams as a result of this, and this is how we close. There's Team Egypt. Team Egypt reads and hears about what God says about the future. God says there's a day coming when everyone will have to give an account of every careless word and every deed done in the body and every belief espoused of the mind. God's going to hold us accountable for everything that we've done or not done, and he's going to, based on that, he's going to decide what your fate for eternity is. And Team Egypt says, "Uh, I don't know if I buy it. I might. I might buy it, but uh, I'll do something about it later. Or a lot of them will say, I just don't buy any of that. It doesn't make sense to me. And they're sitting over here knowing the future that's ahead because Scripture says it and God's people preach it and we tell them all the time, they're not going to believe it and they're not going to act and that's Team Egypt. And the other side is Team Israel. We've seen enough to be convinced that God knows what he's talking about and is more than capable of bringing about the things he says. And we hear what it says And we know the criteria of that judgment, how God's going to judge us. And he's issued this word to us about how to live in preparation. Since this is how things ought to be, what kind of people ought you to be? What kind of lives ought you to live? 2 Peter chapter 3. And we read it and we obey it, not because we're better than Team Egypt, but because we believe what God says. And we've seen in our mind's eye how the plagues went We see how the New Testament went. We see everything God's done. And you know what? We believe what he says, and we're going to make ourselves ready for that day. That's Team Israel. What team are you on? Moses was angry because Pharaoh had the power to avert all this misery, and he chose not to. We need to be a church that stands like Moses and lets the world know what's ahead, but we need to do it like we care, like it matters, like it hurts us to think that there's anybody who could know this is coming and not do anything about it. What team are you on? If you're not on Team Israel, you need to be before you leave tonight. You need to make Jesus the Savior of your life by saying his name in front of this group of people and repenting of your sin, being immersed in the waters of baptism, and rise to walk a new life prepared for that day. That's Team Israel. That's where you need to be. And if that's not the team you're on, switch teams as we stand and sing to encourage you.